words, don't you? Uh, can you see what I've done? Can you see it? Well, if, 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 you, if you can't see what I've done with that word, well, then it will become clear by the time that I'm finished. Ruth chapter 1, verses 1 to 5, present a fairly bleak and dark story, doesn't it? An Israelite by the name of Elimelech takes the unwise, sinful choice of moving from Bethlehem to Moab during a famine. His two boys then marry non-Israelite woman against God's law. Sin leads to more sin. Eventually, Elimelech dies. His two sons die, leaving three funerals and three destitute widows. Maybe you've heard of the movie Three Weddings and a Funeral. This is three funerals and no wedding. But the story is moving, isn't it? Three widows in chapter 1 verse 5 is moving to a wedding in chapter 4 verse 13. The death of two sons in chapter 1 verse 5 is moving to the birth of a son in chapter 4 verse 13. And the famine in chapter 1 verse 1 is moving to a great barley harvest in chapter 1 verse 22. God is working in the famine. God is working in deathly circumstances. But it's not always easy to see the hand of God in the darkness. But faith believes that in famine and death, God is doing His greatest work. We live by faith, not by sight. We can't always see it with our physical eyes. But faith is a confidence in what we hope for and an assurance of what we cannot see. Let me take you to my first heading. The struggling faith of Naomi. I'm sure you picked it up as we read the chapter that Naomi is really struggling in her faith, isn't she? She's really struggling to see the goodness of God's hand in the misery of her circumstances. And our hearts are drawn to her, aren't they? We feel something of the bitterness of her soul. Did you pick that up? Chapter 1, verse 13 on the screen, she, she says to Ruth and Orpah, she says, it is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. You feel that bitterness, don't you? And then down in Chapter 1, verse 20, as she returns to Bethlehem and she speaks to the people at the gate, she says, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara. Mara meaning bitter because the Lord Almighty has made my life very bitter. She is a woman of faith. She recognizes the providence of God in all her difficult circumstances, but there is a bitterness within her that is reminiscent of Job, remember him? I wonder if you remember these words from Job chapter 10 and verse 1, when Job says, I loathe my very life, therefore I will give free reign to my complaint, and I will speak out in the bitterness of my soul. Naomi understands that the weather does the bidding of the Lord. Naomi understands that the famine is the chastening hand of God. 
Naomi understands Psalm 139 that all the days of her life are ordained both for her and her dead husband and her dead sons. She understands Psalm 139 and verse 16. She says, she understands Psalm 139, 16. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. She may also have been bitter because it may not have been her choice to leave Bethlehem. In the very Jewish culture, in the very patriarchal culture, it may well have been Elimelech, her husband, that made that decision alone. That's how it worked. She may well be feeling so bitter because she is suffering at the hands of others. And so these deep, dark, deathly, destitute circumstances have left her bitter of soul. Naomi, in fact, is so discouraged. She is feeling so helpless. She sees no way forward. Notice in the passage that in this desperation and this helplessness, she actually encourages Orpah and Ruth to go to do what? To go back home, to, to, to go back to Moab. She says, go back, chapter 1, verse 11. And even after Orpah does go back, she again encourages Ruth, go back home, go back to your mother's house, go back to your gods, chapter 1, verse 15. Now, it might seem so strange that a woman of faith is encouraging her daughters-in-law to go back to a pagan land with their pagan gods, but we've got to understand she's so bitter of soul. She can't see any way forward. She can't see any way of providing for her daughters-in-law. It, 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 it just can't see any way forward. Her suffering is so severe. Her destitution is so deep. She feels so forsaken that she cannot even bring it to herself to bring those daughters-in-law back to her, to Israel. Do you get Naomi? Do you get Job? Do you get that bitterness of soul? And we too can cry out at times that, that, that there are days where we wish that we weren't even born. We can identify with Naomi and Job that there are times when we just can see no way out. There's no way forward. How can things even change? And what happens, it causes us to lash out at God. And very often we lash out at those that we love around us. But this is crucial in Naomi's struggle of faith. At this point, she has forgotten the promises and the provision of Yahweh. At this point, she has forgotten that God is always faithful, even when Israel is unfaithful. She has forgotten that God continues to rescue and save His people even when Israel is doing what is right in their own eyes. Naomi, at this point, she has forgotten about the provisions that God has made for them in Israel. She's forgotten about those laws that God has made to protect the widows and the orphans and the fathers. She's forgotten about kinsmen redeemers. She's forgotten the goodness and the provision of God. We get Naomi, don't we? And that's us so many times. We lose spiritual sight of God's promises and provisions in the dark valleys and the valleys 
of the shadows of death. We lose sight of God's power to change things. Even when humanly speaking, there's no way out. Like Naomi, we struggle to see the goodness of God working out in our little deaths and our big deaths. We struggle to see the harvest of resurrection. We truly struggle to see God working good in all things. And there's some profound things that she couldn't yet see. She couldn't see that her sufferings were appointed to the suffering Messiah who would come, even from the line of Ruth. She couldn't see that her suffering under the curse of famine was pointing to the coming Messiah who would suffer under the curse of death for our disobedience to the law. She didn't yet understand Galatians 3, 13, where Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. And she couldn't see yet that God was continuing to fulfill His promises to bring the Gentiles into the blessing of salvation, even through the line of Ruth. Your faith and my faith needs to wrestle with God in the darkness. We need to wrestle with God like Jacob wrestled with God in his fear before he was going to meet Esau. We have to wrestle to know that our sufferings are part of the sufferings of Christ. Our sufferings are, are a participation in the sufferings of Christ, which bring us into the conformity of Christ. So often, maybe most often, we just can't see what God is doing in the darkness, can we? But He is working. He is redeeming. He is changing us. And He is enlarging our hope of the harvest of resurrection. Our faith must wrestle to believe that our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the weight of glory that is coming. These words I'm about to put up on the screen from Psalm 46, they are so easy to say. They are even, in fact, so easy to memorize. Take a look at them. Psalm 46, 1 to 3. God is our refuge and strength. Oh, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. This is the struggle and the wrestle of our faith to believe God is always our refuge and our help in trouble. Naomi is struggling. Now I want to show you something in our passage. God is about to show Naomi a living example of his working in the darkness. He's about to give her a living example of his working in the destitution. That he is working good in all things. He is about to give Naomi an example that he works when everything else 
seems to be going wrong. The saving faith of Ruth. Ruth is having nothing to do with her mother-in-law's urging to go back home and to go back to Moab. And sort of a summary of the situation ends up in verse 18, when Naomi realized that Ruth was was, was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her to go back. And if you've got your Bible, but I'll show you on the screen, if you back up into verse 16 and 17, we have some of the most remarkable words of anyone in the Bible coming from a Gentile Moabite woman. Look at what she says to Naomi. She says, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die. And may the Lord deal with me ever so severely if even death separates you and me. These are remarkable words. In Scripture, we have some of the most remarkable words from Gentiles. Remember that incredible confession of Nebuchadnezzar, wicked Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel. You remember the confession of the wicked Ninevites after Jonah goes and preaches to them. You know, in the New Testament, Jesus was often amazed at the faith of Gentiles and astonished at the lack of faith of Israel. Remember that? You remember that story where the Roman centurion comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, my servant is sick. Won't you come in? Come and heal him. And then he says to, says to Jesus, but you don't need to come into my home. You don't need to come. You just give the word and he'll be healed. And here's how Jesus responds to that statement. He says, when Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those who were following him, truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such faith. The words from Ruth to Naomi are incredible words of loyalty, but that's not the main thing. The picture that is painted for us here is that this is the loyalty of a Gentile Moabite woman in her commitment to Yahweh. It is a picture of a pagan coming to faith in the God of Israel. Do you see what's happening? What is, what, what, what is God showing Naomi in the darkness? In the darkness. In the sins of her husband, in the sins of her sons, what's God doing? God has saved a pagan Moabite woman named Ruth. Can you see what I'm doing, Naomi? Can you see what I'm doing in the darkness? As Naomi keeps pushing Ruth away and telling her to go back, in the words of Sinclair Ferguson, Uh, Ruth says to Naomi, stop telling me to go home. Stop telling me to go. I'm converted. (laughs) I'm I'm a Christian. I'm a a God-fearer. I'm a believer in Yahweh. I'm converted. Stop it, Naomi. Where you go, I go. Where you stay, I stay. Where you live, I live. Your people are my people. Your God is my God. Where you die, I will die. Ruth is basically saying to Naomi, the God that promised to Abraham to bring the Gentiles into the blessing of salvation, I'm one of them. I'm one of them. And it's exactly what Boaz says to Ruth in the next chapter. We'll get there eventually. Boaz says to Ruth, may the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, 
There it is, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. That is saving faith. It is taking refuge under the wings of God. It is taking refuge under the wings of God in Jesus Christ. Ruth is a picture of saving faith in the rescue of Jesus Christ. This is God showing Naomi that even in the unfaithfulness of Israel, even when they are doing what is right in their own eyes, even when it's dark, even when there's death, even when there's destitution, even when there's poverty, God is working out His purposes. And He's working good in all things. And He's bringing life in death. He's bringing light in darkness. He's bringing harvest in famine. Naomi, can you see what I'm doing? It doesn't quite shift the bitterness of Naomi yet, does it? But there's a crack in her bitterness. She stops urging Ruth to go back home and they head off to Bethlehem together. If you are a Christian here today, and you are a Ruth, aren't you? You are a Gentile who has come to take refuge under the wings of God in the magnificent riches of God's grace in Jesus Christ. And if you're not a Christian here today, you can take refuge. You can come under the wings of God in Jesus Christ. And He will save you. But brothers and sisters, when the bitterness of life bites hard, and I know how hard it is when bitterness bites, you and I have to look around to see what God is doing in the midst. There will be signs of grace. There will be signs of life. If we have eyes to see it and ears to hear it, we will see God working in our darkness. And I share this with you with permission from my son. Mark is 20 today. When he was 15 or 16 years old, he was in a very dark place. And I can remember on more than one occasion going down to the beach, which is at the bottom of the hospital, sitting there on the beach, literally in the bushes, weeping over the darkness, weeping over his darkness, weeping over the effect that it was having on me and our family. And then one day, in the very heart of the darkness, Jesus Christ revealed Himself to Mark in such a profound way, I will never forget that day. We sat till the early hours of the morning that day talking. In fact, I had to tell him to go to bed because it would have been the next morning at 5 a.m. God works in the darkness. God is doing His 
greatest work in the darkness. Did you know that? Can I show it to you? At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus Christ cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, Lima, Sabatani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Can you see it? It was in the darkness of the cross that Jesus suffered and bled and died and secured the salvation for his people. Have a look at Colossians 2.15. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. It was in the darkness of the cross that the demonic power of Satan was destroyed. And God's people are set free from his tyranny and slavery. God's greatest saving power was in the darkness of the cross. And therefore, God's greatest saving power changing power in your life happens in where? In the darkness. In the weakness. In the sin. In the brokenness. In the pain. In the desert. It is a struggle to see it. Sometimes it's so hard to see it, but are you able to see the evidences of God's grace and mercy and kindness and love even in the valleys of the shadows of death? If you have ears to hear and you have eyes to see, you'll see it. You will see it. From the struggling faith of Naomi to a living example of saving faith in Ruth. There is another character in the story, isn't there? An often neglected character. From the struggling to the saving, we go to the apostate faith of Orpah. Is she just incidental to the story? I mean, after verse 14, she's just not mentioned again. We might be inclined to think that Orpah, well, I mean, she made, a, she made a sensible decision, didn't she? I mean, look at it. She's destitute. She doesn't have most prospects hanging around gnomes and Ruth. She doesn't understand Israel, never been to Israel, doesn't get the provisions. Israel is a foreign land for her. Moabites were not exactly flavor of the month when it came to Israelites. Even her mother-in-law is forcing her to go back. I mean, it seems like a reasonable decision to make, and maybe she's just incidental to the story. But, but what do we make of Orpah, who, who returned home to her people and her gods? Well, just like Naomi and Ruth, Orpah, she'd heard the good news in chapter 1, verse 6. She'd heard the good news of God again visiting his people. She had heard of the salvation of Yahweh. She had had the invitation, no doubt, many times to come and have, take refuge under the wings of God. But she turns back. Why? Because she's apostate. 
She's a little bit like the rich man in Mark 10 who comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus tells him, and what does he do? He turns away and goes home. Sad. He returned to his God of wealth. The rich man counted the cost and went away sad. Ruth counted the cost and came under the wings of the living God. Orpah counted the cost and she went away weeping to take refuge under the wings of the pagan god named Shemosh. You see, Orpah is really a picture of Demas in the New Testament. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10. This is Paul writing to Timothy, and he says of Demas that used to be sort of part of the, the pastoral team. He says, For Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Orpah returning back to Moab reflects that she had not adopted the worship of God's, of Israel's God. Perhaps it had been an outward break with her pagan religion. Maybe she had even made a profession of being one of God's people. But she'd never made a true saving faith commitment. It was like she was one of those that were on the threshold of salvation. But when the opportunity came, she turned back. 1 John 2 verse 19 reflects Orpah. They went out from us, John says, but that did not really belong to us. For if they belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. Orpah's was not a struggling faith. Orpah's was not a saving faith. Orpah was a, an apostate faith. And we see it over and over and over again in the church. Many, many people go and be part of a Christian church. They may claim to be Christian. They might have an outward profession. They might have made some sort of external break with, with the past, but, but when the bitterness of life really bites, they walk away. They turn their back. They leave because they were never true believers in the first place. Naomi struggled in her faith, but she continued to walk with the Lord. She was struggling so much, but when she had heard that the Lord had revisited His people, she decided to go back. It was a, that was a step of faith. You see, the faithful, though they struggle, they continue, even when it goes hard. True believers do not turn their back on the Lord. They do not turn their back on God's people. When someone walks away from the faith, they are showing that they were never true believers in the first place. You've got the struggling faith of Naomi. You've got the saving faith of Ruth. You've got the apostate faith of Orpah. What about you? Which one describes you? I want to say to you this morning that if you were a Christian, I would suggest to you that you are probably a combo of Ruth and Naomi. 
and you know where this is going. There are times on there when we are riding high on the wave of salvation. There are times when we sing glory, 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 and there is a Redeemer, and, 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 and there are times like that, and if that's one of you this morning, if you're on, the, are you on the wave of salvation, I say bless you, and we want to rejoice with you. There are times when we are there. But here's my new word. Most of us, most of the time, in some way, to varying degrees, we are what? We are Ruth Omis. We, are, we have a saving faith, but we struggle like Naomi. We are Ruth Omis. I am a Ruth Omi. I am a Ruth Omi this morning. I am saved, but I am struggling. In this last while, I've had a bitterness of soul. I can say to you, there have been times in my life when I say like Job, I wish I was never born. And I have to feed my soul with the promises and the faithfulness of my God, under whose wings I have come to take refuge. In Jesus Christ. I have to be reminded of words like Psalm 23. For though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff. They comfort me. I have to be reminded of the promise of God in 23, 6 of Psalm. When he says, surely, surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And surely I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And I need to be reminded of the promises and the faithfulness and the provision of God in places like Isaiah 43, where the Lord says, He who created you, Paul, he who created you, Paul, do not fear, I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name and you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you pass through the fire, they will not burn you. The flames will not set you ablaze. And if I have eyes to see it, and if I have ears to hear it, I can see God working in the darkness of my circumstances. I saw God bring my son to faith. And if I have eyes to see and ears to hear in the darkness of my circumstances, God is redeeming me. He is saving me. He is changing me. And to all you Ruth, are there any Ruth Omis out there this morning? Okay, I thought there was a few at the end. Here we go. To all you Ruth Omis, here's what you've got to hear and I've got to hear. God's grace is enough. God's grace was enough for Naomi. God's grace was enough for Ruth. God's grace was enough for Naomi, though she couldn't quite see it, but she would. God's grace wasn't quite enough for Orpah. And she turned back. So let me finish with these words from Hebrews chapter 10. You need to persevere, Ruth Omi. You need to persevere. 
so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what He has promised. For in just a little while, He who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one will live by faith, and I take no pleasure in the orpah who shrinks back. But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but those who have faith and are saved. So, are we Ruth? Are we Naomi's? We are Ruth Omis. Don't be an author. 